So for those of you who are new, just to let you know, we are in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you go to Matthew uh, chapter 5 through 7, you find this this, uh, famous sermon that Jesus gave laying out what it means to be his disciple. Uh, Jesus sort of paints a vision for us of what it means to be part of his kingdom. And this morning, Jesus is going to talk to us about the power we need as disciples. So when we undertake any particular task, we need power equal to that task. So if I were to tell you, I am going to plan a trip to Mars, and and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to have Jake build me some wings, and I'm going to attach them to Mindy's Subaru. And then I'm going to go and invest in those homemade rocket kits, and I'm going to buy as many as I can and strap as many as I can to our Subaru, and then I'm headed to Mars. Who's with me? Good? Okay, how about this plan? How about this plan? Um, I'm going to bribe Brian, and we're going to go steal a Cobra ball from Offit and fly to Mars. How's that? How's that? Okay, both of those plans are ridiculous for, for a number of reasons. Not the least of which, neither of those plans will get me to Mars. Strapping a bunch of homemade rockets on the back of an SUV and trying to fly to Mars is insufficient power. And for, and for all the power that a Cobra Ball jet has, fly all over the world, it will not get me to Mars. It is insufficient power to get me to Mars. As disciples of Jesus, we have to ask our question, what is empowering us as disciples? You see, we think through to get to Mars, that requires an incredible amount of power because that is an awesome task. When we think about being a disciple of Jesus and all that Jesus calls us into is the power that we're trusting in, is the power that we have sufficient for the task. Because it will not do for us to have the spiritual equivalent of a bunch of homemade rockets strapped to an SUV. And it will not do to have the spiritual equivalent of a Cobra Ball jet for all the power that that may have. It's insufficient for the task. And so we need to consider where our power is coming from to faithfully follow Christ. We need a power equal to the task. And that is the power that Jesus directs us towards this morning. And so here's the main point for us. Disciples of Jesus boldly seek God for the power they need because he is a good father who provides. And so here are the two ideas that we're going to unpack related to this main idea. First, our need for power. And second, our God provides power. So in telling his disciples to ask, seek, and knock, Jesus is directing us towards a couple things. Towards prayer and persistence and dependence. And so asking and knocking, and this is important, isn't some just generic statement Jesus is throwing out that we can kind of use in this name it and claim it sense. This isn't just some generic, hey, just ask for whatever you want and God will give it to you. Because this passage, this call to prayer is in a very specific spot in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we could ask this question, why is this passage where it is? Why is this call to prayer? Because Jesus talked about prayer in Matthew 6. 
Why is he doing it again here? Why is it in this particular place? Well, let's put ourselves in the place of these original disciples and consider all we have heard, we've just heard Jesus teach. And if we take his words seriously, if we take all that Jesus has taught seriously, if we feel the weight of what he has just said, then there should be something inside us that asks, how is this possible? If I, if I take Jesus' words seriously, if I look at what he calls me to, and I don't feel a sense of how is this possible, then let me suggest you are blunting Jesus' words. If, if there is not a sense of inadequacy or a sense of how is any of this, how am I capable of any of this, then it could be that you have shrunk discipleship. You have shrunk the call of Jesus on your lives. It's as if you see a trip to Mars as a simple jaunt over to Chicago or down to Kansas City. So let's, let's just take a moment here and consider all that Jesus has taught at this point on the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus says at one point in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm summarizing here some of the things he's saying. Do not respond in sinful anger and retaliation to the people who annoy you or shame you or insult you or sin against you. Do not, do not resort to emotional manipulation or, or t- these little ways that you can get back at people or rage inside your heart. Rather, love them. Serve them. Look for opportunities to do good to those who sin against you. Offer forgiveness and pursue reconciliation. And if you consider the anger that can be in our hearts, if you consider all the little ways that we like to retaliate and emotionally manipulate, all the ways that we withhold forgiveness or, or we offer cheap forgiveness because we never go after reconciliation, when we consider our hearts in comparison to what Jesus calls us to, our answer should be, that's hard. <laughs> that, that seems a bit impossible in some ways. Or how about this? Jesus says, do not sinfully indulge your sexual appetites and lusts. Do, do not give in to the pleasures of this world and, and just have your appetite indulged and just be greedy about that. Rather, pursue purity of heart. Pursue purity in your relationships. Do not use people to gratify your lusts. Seek sexual fulfillment within the context of marriage. And when you are married, commit to that covenant no matter how difficult it gets. We consider our selfish hearts and how our sexual desires can run rampant. What Jesus calls us to is incredibly difficult. Or how about this one? Jesus says, do not hide your sin and pretend you have it all figured out. Do not try to use your religious practice as a way to posture and impress people. Rather, humbly confess your sin to the Lord and others. Your religious practice is born out of an identity that Christ gave you and so should be used to worship him and know him and quietly and humbly serve other people. And we consider how we have a natural tendency to hide and to posture and to perform for people. How we want status and identity then what Jesus calls us to is incredibly difficult. Jesus says, do not seek comfort and security in earthly treasures. 
Do not hold on to that security blanket of your bank accounts and your earthly possessions. Rather, seek treasures in heaven. Sacrifice, give generously, give your all to the kingdom, inconvenience yourself, suffer, willingly let all of it go for the sake of the kingdom of God. Do not give in to anxiety and worry about your possessions and whether or not God will care for you. And we consider how tightly we hold on to these things. I mean, this is probably the one area where we don't like Jesus poking. When we consider how tightly we hold on to our money and our time and our possessions, when we consider how we build our own kingdoms, what Jesus asks us to do is incredibly hard. And then as we saw last week, Jesus says, don't rant and rail at the evil that you see in this world, calling down condemnation and judgment on it. Rather, humbly exercise sober judgment. Be aware of the sin in your own heart. Walk out repentance and so you can see clearly, spiritually speaking. And when you do judge, judge with a sense of humility. Judge with the sense of, of foresight. Be, be able to understand when you should speak and when you need to hold back. And if you've ever been in those situations, if you've ever tried to engage people well, you know that is hard. When to speak and when to keep your mouth shut is not easy. And so you need wisdom. And so Jesus hasn't called his disciples to some simple self-improvement. Don't just, he isn't just saying, be a little nicer, give a little bit more, be a little bit more patient, relax and enjoy life a little bit more. No, he's calling us to entirely different kingdom with entirely different priorities. Jesus isn't after a piece of your heart. He is after your entire heart. He is after your complete obedience, your complete loyalty, your complete worship. And so the things Jesus calls us to aren't done merely just by cleaning up our behavior. We need complete and utter transformation. We are in desperate need of new hearts and new desires and a new framework for seeing the world. And so we need a new source of power to live. And so for those of you here this morning that would say, I want to follow Christ. I I see all that Jesus has called me to, and my desire is to faithfully follow Jesus, but it is hard. It is challenging. I am aware of my sin and my failure and my weakness. Well, the good news for us this morning is that Jesus offers these life-giving, hopeful words. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, and it will be given to you. This is a call to prayer. Ask, not because God is unaware of what you need. Not because God is indifferent to what you need. Ask, because you need to humbly receive what you do not have. Ask, because the task is far greater than the power you have. Ask to receive from God what you need. This means, disciples of Jesus, we are not like men who will refuse to ask for directions. You know who you are in this room. We are not like those who, who don't want to go and ask for help. Now, 
I, I'll put myself in that category. You can ask my wife. I have annoyed her hundreds of times in this regard. And, and I think what's interesting about that, that dynamic, I've, I've actually reflected on that. Why am I so stubborn in this way? Well, there, there's one sense where I think we can be stubborn. Like, I just don't want help. I got this. I'm going to figure this out on my own, and I'm going to do it. But I think it's a, a little more subtle than that for a lot of guys. I don't think it's that outright just, I am not going to ask for help. I refuse to get help from somebody. Here's what I think it is for a lot of you, I'm assuming. You don't want to stop because you don't want to stop. Meaning, to go ask for help means you have to stop activity. It means you have to stop and you have to wait for somebody else. It means you have to slow down and stop your activity. I mean, a lot of times in my mind, when I'm thinking about going to ask for directions, what goes through my head is it will take too much time. By the time I go and ask this other person, I'll have figured it out on my own. So I don't want to stop and slow down. And for a lot of you, men and women, you don't stop and ask because you believe that the power you need for discipleship is kind of like a hamster wheel. If I get on that hamster wheel of activity and I go fast enough, I'm going to generate enough energy and power to, to accomplish what God's called me to do. But what we miss is that we are insufficient. We do not have enough power in and of ourselves. It doesn't matter how fast you get that hamster wheel going. You cannot generate enough power. And so we have to stop and humble ourselves. And to receive from the Lord means we have to stop our activity. We have to humble ourselves and take time to sit with him in prayer and to hear from him to receive his power, to receive what only he can give us. And so are you asking from the Lord? Are you asking for his power? James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Are you lacking power because you are not asking? Are you spending time before the Lord? And so do you need, do you need the self-control to not retaliate against someone? Do you need the self-control to deal with the anger in your heart? Ask the Lord. Do you need the humility to confess sin to the Lord or confess sin to someone else? Ask the Lord. Do you need the strength to resist lust and anxiety? Ask the Lord. Do you need wisdom to enter into a messy situation and wonder how to navigate with somebody and how to make a right judgment or how to counsel someone and disciple someone? Ask the Lord. Because here's the promise for us in this passage. Ask and you will receive. You will receive the power to be self-controlled. You will receive the humility to confess sin. You will receive the wisdom you need to navigate difficult situations. You will receive the strength you need to resist sin and temptation. And so we need to stop and ask and sit with the Lord and allow him to be our source of power. Seek and you will find. Now seeking is a call to persistence. Though we are called to humbly ask for power, to seek from the Lord power that we do not have in and of ourselves, the life of a disciple, the life of a Christian is not passive meaning we don't just sit back and God zaps us and that's all she wrote. As much as we would like that to happen, that is not what happens. Seeking God, asking God for the power we need doesn't mean that we just snap our fingers and everything's better. 
No, God calls us to a life of persistence, a life of seeking. It requires persistence because sin is stubborn. Sin just doesn't go away. When we go into this world and share the gospel and disciple and seek righteousness and work for justice and goodness, the world doesn't just go, oh, sure, okay, let's just let righteousness reign. Sounds good. I submit. No, it's never that easy. And so God calls us to persist. Persist in the power that he is working in you. The life of a disciple is a lifelong process of transformation and growth. It's messy. It's hard. We're weak. We're frail. We slip up. And that is why scripture over and over and over again calls us to persistence. Keep praying. Keep asking. Keep serving. Keep being obedient. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep confessing sin. Over and over and over. Persist, persist, persist. And God calling us to persist, God calling us to seek, is not him playing coy. It's not him trying to just frustrate us and being a jerk. It's not with God withholding his power from us. Rather, it's the very means by which God is transforming you and I. Because what he is doing in that persistence, what he is doing through your seeking, is he's slowly loosening your grip on this world and all your sources of identity and security and all the things that you run to and all the things that you love. And he's strengthening your grip on himself. And slowly but surely, he is making you more and more like Christ. And so it is in the process of persisting that God's power is at work. It is in the process of persisting that you are transformed. Ever wonder why Satan is constantly just saying, just give up. Just just stop praying. Just stop confessing sin. Stop attending worship. Stop going and being in community. Why, Why is that word just constantly in your mind? Stop doing this and go do this over here. Because he wants you to quit. Because he knows God's power is at work in your persistence. Hey, this is true of anything, right? If you, if, see, you give yourself to a sport or maybe to school or maybe to some sort of artistic endeavor, you have to persist. You have to keep at it. And what happens in your persistence? You become better. You, you, you become more equipped. You become stronger in that. And, and if that is the case for you in your limited human ability, how much more with the power of God working through you will your persistence transform you? And so be persistent. The great 20th century preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about Jesus' call to persistence. The importance of this element of persistence cannot be exaggerated. You find it not only in biblical teaching, but also in the lives of all the saints. The most fatal thing in the Christian life is to be content with passing desires. If we really want to be men and women of God, if we really want to know him and walk with him and experience those boundless blessings which he has to offer us, we must persist in asking him for them day by day. We have to feel this hunger and thirst after righteousness, and then we shall be filled. And that does not mean that we are filled once and forever, We go on hungering and thirsting. Like the Apostle Paul, leaving the things which are behind, we press toward the mark. Not as though I had already attained, says Paul, but I follow after. 
That is it. This persistence, this constant desire, asking, seeking, knocking. And there is promise. Seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. So do you want to see righteousness transform you and your family and your city? Seek righteousness. Persist after it. Ask for it. Study it in God's word to see what it is. Live it. Commit yourself to it. And when you mess up and fail, confess and go back and ask for it again and commit to it again and keep walking it out and you will find it. Do you want to see forgiveness and reconciliation define your life and the life of your family and the life of this church? Seek it. Persist after it. Ask for it. Live it. Commit to it. Desire it. And you will find it. Oh, do you want to see mercy and grace? Oh, seek after it. Persist after it. Hunger after it. Ask for it. Live it. Commit to it. And you will find it. Church, there is incredible promise for us in our persistence. And Jesus is calling his disciples to persist because he's saying, the power of my Father working through your persistence. So seek and you will find. And then third, knock, and it will be open to you. So the image of knocking very much kind of captures these two, asking and seeking. So to knock on someone's door means I'm going to ask them for something, and I, I actually had to seek this person out and went to their house. And this is an important image that we shouldn't miss, knocking on someone's door. It's one thing for you to call someone on the phone and ask them for something. Or maybe you see somebody on the street or in a, in a store and you ask them there. It's quite another to go to someone's house, knock on their door and ask them. Because that's risky. That, 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 that takes an element of vulnerability on your part to go and impose on somebody. So one of the things that has been probably a little bit of a pain being a homeowner are all the solicitors that come through our neighborhood. Some of you guys know what I mean. I mean, I love being in our neighborhood. I love owning a home, but I can do without the solicitors. There, there's just something about them that just, it's, it's frustrating. And our neighborhood is kind of notorious, like anti-solicitors. Like there's constant, like a number of our neighbors have like no soliciting signs. Uh, one Christmas, Mindy and I, so Mindy baked cookies for our neighbors. And so we went around to, to deliver them. And we did it at night, which we shouldn't have done. And so we knock on the door, and the only neighbor that actually came to the door kind of came like all grouchy, like, who's at my door? I think I saw them put their shotgun away when they saw it was us. But they were, they did not, nobody answered the door. So we, we set up the bag on the doorstep, and there was a little nice little note, and then we'd walk down the street, and then when we came back, we noticed everyone was gone. Like, they, just, they were home, they just weren't answering their door. And I've pulled this myself. Like, when people come and knock at their door in the middle of the day, I don't know who it is, I like hide back in my kitchen, and I think a few of you have come to my house in the middle of the day to drop something off, and I've been in my kitchen acting like I'm not home, so I'm sorry. So <laughs> I dislike solicitors. Here's why. Two reasons. One, um, the one time I answered a door and I had to tell the nice little nine-year-old I wasn't going to buy his candy bar and the look of sadness on his face, I can't live with that guilt. I'm sorry. If I got to tell these people no, I cannot live with that guilt, so I just ignore them. The second is, there's something about coming to my house and doing business on my front step. My house is my refuge, so don't do your business on my front porch. 
So there's this kind of like, I don't want you here. Why are you here kind of thing? So you know, you know this feeling, like the solicitor just kind of like in your space trying to impose upon you and get you to do something. The good news for us is that God is not that way. God is not like the homeowner who doesn't want, who, who shoots people down and doesn't want people on his front porch step. So Jesus tells this story in Luke 18 about a widow who sought justice from an uncaring judge. And she, day after day after day, knocked on his door demanding justice. And the judge said, you know what? It's not because I fear God or I'm a moral person that I'm going to help this, this woman. It's because she keeps knocking and she's annoying me. And Jesus' point is this. If an uncaring, unjust judge will answer because of persistence, how much more will a God who absolutely cares and loves answer your persistent knocking? So if you feel a sense of awkwardness about imposing on God, God says to you, no, come to my doorstep, knock all you want, impose upon me, ask, seek, knock, because I'm willing to give. You will find the door will be open to you. God is not hiding back in the kitchen, avoiding you. And so church, are you imposing? Are you persistent? Are you knocking? Because here's, here's the other picture of that. The power that we need is in the presence of the Lord. Knocking, going to the very face of God, being in his presence to find power. That's our hope. That's our power. It's the Lord himself. It's being in his presence. It's being in vital union with him. And so does your asking and your seeking and your knocking lead you to God himself? As I've said, and I keep repeating it week after week, are you being vulnerable with God? Is it leading you to the very presence of God, closeness to him? Are you finding your power there? And so our need for power and our need to ask and to seek and to knock are born out of this awesome and incredible call that Jesus has on us. And so when you feel your need, when you feel that desperation, ask and seek and knock. And Jesus tells you this with great confidence because he knows that our God and our Father will provide. He knows that our God is good and he will provide. Jesus asks his disciples in verses 9 and 10, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? You who are fathers, if your son or daughter comes and asks you for something they need and something that is good for them, how many of you are going to give them something that would hurt them? Hey, hey, dad, can I have a piece of bread to eat? Oh, no, here's a stone to break your teeth on. Or, or dad, can I have some fish to eat? No, no, here's a scorpion that will sting and poison you. You're not going to do that because you love your kids. You will provide for your kids. You know the role of a father is to provide good things for your children. And so Jesus kind of lays that principle in front of them that they're going to understand. And then he follows it up with this in verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you imperfect fathers who have sin in your heart, who are weak, who don't always do what is best for your kids, you fail. 
if you know how to give good gifts, how much more will God, who is a good father, give good things to you? How much more will a God who is perfectly loving and perfectly good give you all the things that you need to follow Christ? Look, God knows what he's called you to. God isn't unaware of the life he has called you into. He knows that you need power. He knows that you're desperate. He knows that you can't do it on your own. And so he is more than willing to give you every good thing that you need for the life that he's called you to. So let me ask you, why don't you ask? Why don't you ask? What keeps you from asking God? Now, now to some degree, it may be that we just don't slow down. To some degree, it may be that, yeah, we are kind of prideful and we want to do things on our own. But I'm guessing that for a number of us in this room, the reason that we don't ask is because we don't believe God is actually that good. Like we struggle to believe that God is this good and he will give us what we need. Some of you feel as if you've been asking forever and you're like, God, are you good? I don't know if you're good. And so you do not ask because you struggle in your heart to believe that God really is this good. And so how would it change your prayer life? How would it change the way you follow Jesus? How would it change your life as a disciple if you believed God was really this good? If that God would give you everything that you need to faithfully follow Christ, that he would give you all the power that you lack in and of yourself, that he would give you wisdom, he would give you grace, he would give you mercy. How would that change your prayer life? How would that change the way that you follow Jesus? John Piper, in his book, Desiring God, speaks to the effect that not seeing God, the Father, and Jesus as good will have on our prayer life. Jesus says to the woman at the well, if you just knew the gift of God and who I am, you would ask me. You would pray to me. There is a direct correlation between not knowing Jesus well and not asking much from him. A failure in our prayer life is genuinely a failure to know Jesus. If you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me. A prayerless Christian is like a bus driver trying alone to push his bus out of a rut because he doesn't know Clark Kent is on board. If you knew, you would ask a prayerless Christian is like having your room wallpapered with Saks Fifth Avenue gift certificates, but always shopping at Goodwill because you can't read. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that speaks to you, you would ask. You would ask. Through Jesus, God challenges us. Do you think I am this good? Do you know that I am this good? Look, if we knew the love that God had for us, if we knew the grace and the mercy he intends to show us, if we knew the righteousness that he intends to work through us, oh, we would ask. We would ask if we knew the things that he wanted to do through us in our families and in our church and in this city, we would ask. If we knew the power that was at work in us. So in in Luke 11, and we're not gonna turn there, There's a a parallel passage to this one where Jesus is saying very similar things to his disciples about prayer. And what he says in, in Luke 11 is a little bit different. He doesn't say, how much more will your father give you good things? He says, how much more will your father give you the Holy Spirit 
That is the power that is at work in you, the very presence of God. It's God himself. He gives himself to you to empower you. If we knew that that was the power, not homemade rockets strapped to an SUV, not second-rate power like a cobra ball, but the very presence of God working in us, would we not ask? Would we not ask for more grace, for more mercy, for more love, for more righteousness, for more wisdom, for more power to walk as Jesus has walked, called us to walk because it's the Holy Spirit that he is giving to us? Oh, if we knew that this is the power at work in us, we would stop shrinking the Christian life. We we would stop trying to blunt the things Jesus has called us to. We'd stop trying to sanitize and and live this kind of American dream version of discipleship. Oh, we would give our lives radically to the kingdom of God. We'd give our lives away to Jesus because Jesus is going to use us in profound and powerful ways. If we knew, we would ask so why don't you ask? If these are the things that God holds out for us, if this is who God is, if this is how much love he has for you, if his answer is yes, if his intention is to give you all good things that you need, then why do you not ask? If, if, if your heart this morning is, I struggle to see God as good. I, I struggle to see God as this good. I struggle to see the power of God in my life as this powerful then let me encourage you to start by asking. Let me encourage you just to start simply and say, Lord, give me the ability to see how good you are. Lord, give me the strength that I need. Lord, give me fill in the blank, whatever it is that you feel you are lacking. Ask him. Ask him and then begin to walk those things out and watch his power at work. Start small. You don't have to be super Christian tomorrow. That ain't gonna happen. Start small. Ask him to reveal himself into you just one particular way. Start there. But watch his promises come true for you. And so church, following Jesus, it's no small thing. What we have been looking at over the past several months in the Sermon on the Mount, these are not small things. And it does us no good, and it does our world no good to minimize them to shrink them, to rub the edge off and act as if Jesus wasn't that radical. But there's incredible hope for us. There's incredible promise for us. God holds out real life in Jesus and he holds out the power to live that life to you and me. And so we can walk as Jesus called us to walk. We can experience all the love and the mercy and the grace and the righteousness and the peace and the forgiveness and the reconciliation and the righteousness and the justice and the goodness and on and on and on and all the things that Jesus has called us to. We can experience all of those things. But let's ask and let us seek and let us knock that we may faithfully follow Christ and experience all that he has for us. Amen.